This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading of scripture comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. If you have a Bible in front of you, I'd encourage you to take it out. If you brought one with you, there should be Bibles in the pews in front of you. It's helpful as I read for you to... uh, Read along if you're able. Luke writes, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. May the Lord bless this reading of his holy word. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, again, we pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us. And we pray you help us to lay aside all the many distractions we bring with us this morning and just focus on you, that you would speak to each one of us. And so we are grateful that you will. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our sermon series this morning from the New Testament book of Acts, a series that we have been calling, What is This Thing Called the Church? We are focusing on the book of Acts, not only because it gives us a vivid description, a vivid description of something of what the church was like, that early church was like, but also because it helps us understand how we today can better become the church Jesus is calling us to be. And we have noted that the only way the early disciples were able to be the church Jesus was calling them to be was by opening themselves to the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And the amazing thing that Luke says to us, and really the whole New Testament says to us, is that this same power is also available to us 
to you and to me when we commit our lives to Jesus and when we seek to follow him. Now, the past couple of weeks, we have been focusing on this one story of Peter and John healing a disabled man outside the temple in Jerusalem and the reaction of both the crowds and the religious leaders to that healing. Tyler and Scott have reminded us that when Peter and John healed this man, the crowds of people were amazed. But the religious leaders who were in charge of the temple worship were not so impressed. And when Peter began to explain to everyone that it was in the name of Jesus that this man had been healed, this religi re these religious leaders were even less impressed. They thought they had finally done away with Jesus. But here was Peter and John suggesting that this man was healed because of Jesus. And so they seized Peter and John and brought them before the religious council, and they required of them as to what power or name they did this. And without any hesitation, Peter tells them that it is, it is in the name of Jesus and through Jesus of Nazareth that this miracle has taken place. So that's a little bit of a review of what the story has been so far. Now in the verses that we read just a moment ago from uh, Acts 4, Luke goes on to tell us that even though these religious leader, leaders did not like it or approve of it, did not approve of what Peter was saying or what they were doing, there wasn't much they could do after all. After all, the guy had been healed. The guy that had been healed was standing right next to them, healed. Everybody knew this guy was not able to walk for a long time. And all of a sudden, there he is, healed, standing there, walking. The religious leaders knew they could not let Peter and John go on like this. You just can't have people doing this. But they could not deny that something extraordinary had happened. So after some deliberation among themselves, which we read about in verses 15 through 17, they told Peter and John in verse 18 not to speak or to teach or to heal anymore in the name of Jesus. So how did Peter respond? He didn't say, well, no, we can't do that. He says, no way that's going to happen. They tell the religious leaders in verse 20 this. They say, we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, it's so, it's so true of all these scripture passages. There is so much we could say about them if we had the time. They are so rich with meaning and so rich with insight for us today. But I want to highlight three things that stand out to me as I read these verses that I think are helpful for us to remember as we seek to be the church that Jesus is calling us to be here at Old South today. First of all, Luke reminds us that Peter and John were not superstar Christians like we so often think of them. But 
uneducated and ordinary men. Look again at verse 13. Now, uneducated from their perspective, certainly Peter and John were not stupid. These were intelligent guys, but they didn't have a lot of formal education. When most of us think of Peter and John, we usually think of them as spiritual giants. And in some ways, they were in their role in the early church. But so often we forget that they were first and foremost ordinary fishermen. Fishing was a very respectable job, but they were not professional theologians. They never went to seminary or to rabbi school. They were just ordinary working folks. Yes, they had spent quality time with Jesus, for sure. Yes, they had been mentored by Jesus but they were just common folks like us. And what this says to us, I think, is simply this. A person does not need to have gone to seminary or to be an ordained pastor or to be a theologian of some sort or to know the Bible through and through in order to be useful to Jesus. Certainly, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But that is not what Jesus, I think, is most looking for. What I think these verses suggest to us is that what Jesus is most looking for, how Jesus can most use us, and what he's most looking for are ordinary men and women, ordinary boys and girls like us who are available and willing and open to being used by him in ordinary and extraordinary ways. Everyday followers doing everyday things who are daily yielding themselves over to him in everyday situations. Whether it is serving sandwiches or talking to business customers or dealing with a patient or teaching students or being a student or building houses or changing diapers. Well, maybe not changing diapers or fixing cars, or being retired. All of us in some way or another are in ministry. All of us have an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus in the things we say and do. I remember a few years ago there was a newspaper expose of some auto repair shops who were supposedly cheating customers. And it was sort of a 60 minutes kind of expose they did. And the newspaper reporters loosened a spark plug under the hood of a car. And then they asked, they took the car to various mechanics and asked them to identify and fix the problem. See, see how they would respond. They wanted to know how honest these mechanics were. And what they discovered in this little expose is that some mechanics charged a lot of money for repairs that were not at all necessary. But they also highlighted one mechanic who saw the loose spark plug wire and simply put it back and didn't charge anything. And when these people asked him why he did this and had not charged others, but simply just put it back, the mechanic said this. He said, I don't work that way. I am a Christian. I don't work that way. I 
am a Christian. What a great witness. His faith was not something that he tucked away in his head or that he practiced only on Sunday mornings, but something he did with his hands every day. I remember a man named Harold in one of the congregations I served years ago. Uh, I couldn't even remember his name until just a few days ago, but Harold was a farmer in our congregation. We actually lived in the state capital and we had all these legislators and all these people but Her and in our church and stuff, but Harold was a farmer. He did not have a glamorous job as we tend to define a glamorous job. I don't know how much formal education he had particularly. And yet Harold was a great Bible teacher and had a significant impact in the congregation and in the community, as I recall, by his teaching the Bible, just as something he did on the side. Jesus often can and does call ordinary people doing ordinary things to serve him. One is a mechanic, one is a farmer. Peter and John were fishermen, yet God used each one of them. How about you? Do you see your work, your study, your leisure time, your volunteer activities, your travel, your retirement as a way to love and serve Jesus and reach others with the gospel? Certainly that's a question I'm asking myself a lot. Secondly, these verses remind us that not only does Jesus call ordinary people to serve him, but like Peter and John, it is okay for us to be bold in our faith. Look again at verse 13. Luke says, now when the religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John. It's the word, boldness. Later on in verses 19 and 20, Peter and John demonstrate a little bit of this boldness when they say this. They say, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot keep from speaking what we have seen and heard. I think many of us Presbyterians tend to struggle with being bold in verbally sharing our faith with others. And to be honest with you, I struggle with it at times as well. And I think there are probably many reasons for this. Some of, us may not, may, some of us may not be sure what it is we actually believe. We have a faith maybe that is so weak or uncertain or undefined that we haven't got much to be bold about, much to share about. Others of us may have seen or experienced Christians who are pushy or rude or offensive or insensitive or holier than thou when sharing their faith. And this turns us off. We don't want to be bold like that. And for good reason. There was a, uh, something in the paper this week about a commentary this week about a preacher who set up shop on Salem State University and is, yells at people, basically, as they walk by and tells them they're all going to hell, or at least some of them are going to hell. We see that and we say, hey, I don't really want anything to do with that. And really for good reason. 
Others of us don't feel we know the Bible enough. And we are afraid someone will ask, a, ask us a question that we don't know how to answer, and therefore we don't say anything. We don't want to be embarrassed. And probably there are a lot of other reasons. But Luke tells us that Peter and John were not timid or shy or apologetic, sharing with others about Jesus and what Jesus had done for them in their lives. They, didn't, they weren't memorizing four spiritual laws or anything. They were just sharing out of the abundance of their lives and their relationship with Jesus what that was like, well, how they experienced him. And they had a confidence and a courage and, yes, a boldness that got the attention of the crowds and religious leaders. And they were amazed by it. And I would like to suggest to you that Jesus looks for the same kind of courage, the same kind of confidence, the same kind of boldness in sharing our faith. Again, not a boldness that is arrogant or pushy or self-righteous or condemning, as we sometimes see. But a boldness, I think, that is humble and winsome and compassionate and loving. And that comes from a deep and growing relationship with Jesus and an experience of him in our lives. My friend Rick has this kind of winsome boldness when he talks about his faith, when he shares the hope that is within him with others. And I really admire it. I always have. I've known him for 45 years or a long time. And he always takes every opportunity God gives him to share the hope that is within him. When he is at a restaurant, for instance, he will get to know the waiter or the waitress's name. He'll always ask him their name. He tells them he's a follower of Jesus. He often asks them about their job and about their families and if there's any, and how he might be able to pray for, him, for them. When he, and he leaves a generous tip, apparently Christians are known for leaving cheap tips when they go out. Uh, you know, they share that they love Jesus and then they leave not much of a tip. Rick will always leave a generous tip and um, when he's in a hotel room and he leaves a hotel room, he always leaves a tip there and he leaves a note, you know, God bless you or something like that. Uh, and I saw another example of this recently when Rick and his wife Karen visited us recent, recently. They were here in Newburyport. And just before he got into his car to drive back to the Midwest, our mail carrier drove up in his mail truck. And in no time... <laughs> Rick was not only talking to him, but he found out his name. You know what his name is? I didn't. His name is Tom. And Rick was talking to Tom. He found out his name. He was talking with him. He was praying for him. He was encouraging him. And yeah, this is right outside our doorstep, right outside. I don't know what Tom thought about all that. I think it is safe to say that this kind of encounter is probably not something Tom experiences every day on his mail route here in Newburyport. But Debbie and I were so impressed again by Rick's willingness, his boldness, to share the hope within him, in this instance with a complete stranger. Again, sharing it in a winsome and loving and um, an attractive kind of way. And Rick, if you are watching this, I want you to know how much Debbie and I finally appreciate knowing 
uh, the name of the man who puts his hand in our mail slot with our mail in our front door every day. It's Tom. Thank you. We probably would have never gotten Tom's name otherwise. Now, it's true. Rick has a special gift for sharing his faith with others. And he has an outgoing personality. And both of those things are helpful. But it was a reminder to me, it was convicting to me, actually, that like Peter and John, we need not be afraid to share the hope as God gives us opportunities with those around us. To share what God has done in our lives in a winsome and genuine and loving kind of way. Like Peter and John, we don't have to have gone to seminary or have all the right religious words or know the Bible very well to be able to love others in Jesus' name. I was recently reading about a woman walking down a street one time, and an old man stopped her on the street corner, and the man said to her, he said, excuse me, ma'am, I want to thank you. The woman was a bit surprised. She did not recognize this man. And so she looked at him and said, thank you for what? He replied, well, I used to be a ticket collector on the subway. And whenever you went by going somewhere on the subway, you always gave me a cheerful smile and a hearty good morning. And I knew that smile and that cheerfulness must come from inside somewhere. And then one day, he went on to say, as you were going through my turnstile, I noticed you had a small Bible in your hand. And so I decided to buy one too. And now I am a Christian. Thanks for being such a great witness and an example for me. Now, I suspect this woman probably had no idea that she was being a witness to this guy at the turnstile. But she was. Not only by her words, which it doesn't sound like there were many, but by the way she lived her life, the way she noticed him, the way she treated him each time she went through that turnstile. Again, I would recommend that if you're struggling with this at all or you're not really quite comfortable in, in sharing that hope that was in you with others, uh, I would recommend this class on Thursday night. It will be an opportunity to, together with others, similar journeyers, to kind of think about uh, what does that look like and how can we become more comfortable sharing the experience that we have with Jesus with others. Third and finally, these verses and Acts remind us that in order to be useful for Jesus, we need to stay close to him. The religious leaders were bewildered at how uneducated, from their perspective, how uneducated common men like Peter and John could be so bold until they recognized that Peter and John had what? Had been with Jesus. Look again at the end of verse 13. Luke says, they, the religious leaders, were amazed and recognized Peter and John as companions of Jesus. They recognized in Peter and John words and actions that had been influenced by Jesus. By the way they talked and acted, these leaders could tell that Peter and John must have been close companions of Jesus. A girl's gym teacher at a public grade school liked to wear a cross on a chain around her neck, you know, one of those little crosses that people sometimes wear. 
And sometimes the cross bounced around when she was jumping with her students. So during class, she usually tucked the cross into the neck of her blouse just so that it wouldn't bounce around. And one day, the teacher was doing gymnastics with a class of young girls. And the jumping and the bouncing around that she was doing with them caused that cross that was in her blouse to pop out where you could see it. And one of the little girls that was there noticed that the cross had popped out from under her blouse. And so she beckoned the teacher to bend down so she could tell her something in her ear. And so the teacher bent down and forward towards the little girl. And the little girl whispered in her ear this. She said, she said, don't look now, teacher, but your religion is showing. Your religion is showing. Is your religion showing? Can people see by your words and by the way you live your life that you have been with Jesus, that you're a companion of Jesus? Questions that I'm asking myself all the time, and even more so. And maybe questions that are helpful for all of us to ask ourselves. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we, uh, we are humbled that you give us all that you give us. And that you love us in the way you love us. And that you're working in our lives in the way you're working in our lives. Sometimes we don't always recognize it or see it or acknowledge it. But we know that by your spirit, you are at work in us. And we know, Lord, we live in a, a world that is in desperate need of good news, of hope, of a word of encouragement, of a word that God is in control, even when it looks like that's not the case. And so we pray that you would help us be more comfortable to share that hope that is within us in any way we can, both by our words, yes, but also by the way we live. And Lord, we see a lot of, a lot of, of things going on that aren't always very good witnesses to you. And so we pray you would help us. We know we cannot do it on our own. We need your help. And so we ask for that today and every day. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.